woman at the well and Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well. Only one, and yet he revealed and manifested himself to her. So this morning there are a few of us. We have many empty chairs, but if you would like to, in your mind, in your mind's eye, you can fill those chairs up in your thinking. If you want, you can look at them as empty chairs, or you can fill those chairs up with people who are on your heart and on your mind. I'm going to invite you this morning to open your Bible with me. In John's Gospel, chapter 4, John chapter 4. Now we have been discussing for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the Christian life, of course, and we've had the graphic about the Christian life and the broad way that leads to destruction that Jesus taught about, the narrow way, the narrow gate, and the narrow way that symbolizes the Christian life and the life that is in Christ. Now this morning I'd like to look at this from just a little bit different perspective with you. So therefore we're opening the scripture to John's Gospel chapter 4. And this, of course, involves the woman at the well. The story that is recorded by John of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And we want to just take a few moments and read several of these passages, uh, verses of scripture. And so I'll begin uh, this morning at... uh, Chapter 4 and verse number 1. And I'll just read through the story, and then we'll come back and we'll uh, look at it carefully this morning. And looking at it from the perspective of this uh, Samaritan woman, and who was going about her daily routine. And then one day she was uh, she came to the well, Jacob's well. She had obviously come to this well many, many times, but one particular day, She arrived at the well, and then we'll see what happens. Verse number 1. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Now there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman, therefore, said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And she said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, uh, give, uh, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor have to come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, 
for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me. An hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point his disciples came and they marveled that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? And so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. And in the meanwhile, the disciples were requesting him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples, therefore, were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he he who reaps is reaping wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. And from that city many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the uh, Samaritans came to him, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days And many more believed because of his word. They were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. And after the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee. Reading to the end of verse number 43, now I want to come back and just briefly, briefly, Uh, look at this story with you. But I want to look at it with you this morning from the perspective of uh, that which is typical of the uh, Christian life. Um, There are many parallels in Scripture, many types in Scripture, and many likenesses in Scripture. And I suggest to you that even though your pilgrimage uh, in life is not like this, your circumstances are entirely different from these circumstances, Yet there are certain principles that are true. There are certain patterns that are true. 
For example, I could suggest to you this morning, just uh, say this to you, that building a business, if you have a business acumen, if you want to build a business, I would suggest to you that the principles in building a business are identical to the principles of building a house. And if you do not use the successful principles in building a house and use those same unsuccessful principles and improperly sequenced in building a business, you'll fail. So the principles are the same. The principles in the spiritual life will find principles and likenesses here in this story of the woman at the well. Let's um, familiarize ourselves with this, ourselves with this woman a little bit as we begin this morning. First of all, I must say to you, the reason Jesus left Judea, and Pat will put a little map up for us this morning, which is a simple little um, map of um, the next one, Patricia. There we are. You see at the very bottom, of course, is Jerusalem. At the very bottom, we have Jerusalem. And then uh, at number nine is Sychar. This of uh, Jesus is traveling through Samaria, going uh, from the south, and he's proceeding north up to the Galilee, and he is going directly through Samaria. And he, ca- he came now in his journey to Sychar. And the well um, that Jacob... The piece of property, of course, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. There's uh, Jacob's well is located uh, very near to Sychar. Now, this um, Jesus left Jerusalem, of course, and proceeds towards the Galilee because it is said, stated. Uh, Therefore, the Lord knew the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples were. He left Judea departed again into the Galilee. There was a controversy that was beginning to develop, and the Pharisees were saying, you know, he's making and baptizing more converts and so on than John the Baptist did. Now, it's very important for us to realize, and of course I just want to give you that little sequence of, of in, the, in the map of Israel, thank you Patricia, that Jesus did not come to baptize in water, but the baptism that Jesus came to baptize in and with is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire, was the prophecy about Jesus. There is no record that Jesus ever himself personally baptized anyone in water. In fact, he did not. Because his baptism was not a water baptism. John's, the Baptist, of course, his baptism was a water baptism unto repentance. But Jesus' baptism is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so, when when I use the word baptism, I want to... uh, ask you to think of being immersed in. For example, I would ask you just briefly this morning to think of John the Baptist as John the Immerser. Think of John the Immerser. Don't think just of John the Baptist. Think of John the Immerser because there aren't many different modes of baptism. There is one genuine mode of baptism and that is to immerse, to completely overwhelm with that into which the person is placed. And Jesus specializes in baptizing or immersing the believer into the reality of the Holy Spirit. And this, of course, Jesus leaves Jerusalem and Judea and he's proceeding north uh, through Samaria. And he came to, in his journey, Jacob's well close to this city of Sychar. And the scripture tells us that he was weary and tired from his journey and he sat down by the well. And his disciples went on into Sychar, presumably to buy food, stated to buy food. 
This would be, um, I don't know precisely, but maybe 15 minute, 20 minute walk, something like that from the well into the city. While Jesus is sitting there by the well, a woman comes with a water pot to draw water. It tells us in the uh, sixth verse that uh, it was about the sixth hour. And I know that there are different views as to exactly what time this was. Some tell us that the sixth hour of Roman time would be about six o'clock in the evening. And others say the sixth hour or the twelfth hour, or the sixth hour rather, was at noon. And so there is a, diver- a divergence of opinion among commentators as to precisely the time uh, that this woman came. But we do uh, believe that uh, it was customary for those to, women to come about supper time or about the six o'clock in the evening to draw the water. Some say that the woman, this particular woman, was a kind of outcast in the community. And that it's reasonable then that she came around noon. She came alone. Uh, there were not a whole group of women who came. She came by herself. In any event, let me just say, uh, presumably it was around 12 noon. And she came to draw water and she was alone. Jesus was there alone. Now let me just um, say that as far as the principles of the spiritual life, the way in which we embark upon the Christian path and some of the principles. Because uh, it could be a day just like any other day as it was with this woman. And she arrived at the well. When she arrived at the well, she saw a man sitting there by the well. Just a man. Jewish man. By his dress and so on, it appeared to a Jewish man, all by himself, sitting there by the well. Many times um, when we have a, in our journey through this life, there is an encounter. There's about to be an encounter with the Messiah, with the Christ, with Jesus of Nazareth. There's about to, to come a moment in our experience where his word comes to us for the very first time, as it did with this woman. But it's like an ordinary day, And um, we're just going about our ordinary routine, as she was. Now, to see him for the first time and hear his words for the very first time as he intervenes in our life, a lot of times it's sort of normal and just natural, and, and, and we have an idea of what it would be like to have the word of the Lord come to us, but it's just sort of ordinary, as it was with this man sitting by Jacob's well. And he spoke to her, and he said, Give me a drink. And she was amazed that he would speak to her at all. And he was, and she was further amazed because he would say, ask her to do something because the Samaritans and the Jews had no dealings with each other. The Samaritans were a mixed race. In about 722 B.C., the Assyrians carried away many of the Israels from the northern kingdom and they transplanted many other nationalities into that area, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And as a consequence of the transplantation of people, Israelites being carried away and other nationalities being brought in, they became a mixed race over time. This was under the Assyrians in about 722 B.C. It came to be that the Samaritans, of course, were a real thorn, you might say, in the side of the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. When they came back, of course, from exile uh, to Jerusalem and were engaged in rebuilding the temple again, of course, Many years before Jesus came, the Samaritans were some of those who were engaged in 
hostile, hostile acts towards them. And it came to be at this particular moment in time where there were no dealings, no dealings whatsoever between the Jews and the Samaritans. And, of course, this woman is amazed. So they were a mixed race, the Samaritans. They had a mixed religion. They believed in the books of Moses. The first five books of the Old Testament were rejected the writings, of course, of the prophets. They had a temple on Mount Gerizim that they believed that they should worship in. That is, the Samaritans. And so they had a mixed... They were a mixed race of people, not looked upon by the Jews as being true Jews at all. Uh, mixed religion, worshipped in a different way, had much of idolatry and pagan beliefs mixed and mingled in with their re- religious ideology. So this is the kind of circumstance that uh, surprises and amazes this woman now that this a Jewish man would speak to her and he said, give me a drink. Now the first word, the words of the Lord as they come to this woman, give me a drink, it calls for a response. And this is the way it is in our walk. Whenever the word of the Lord comes to us for the very first time, when we begin to embark upon this narrow way, through this narrow gate, in the Christian life, there is a word that comes to us calls for a response. Now the woman could have responded and said, I'm just not, I'm just not going to pay any attention to this Jewish man here. I'm not even going to listen to what he's saying. Give me a drink. She could have ignored that completely. I'm just saying this morning that it calls for a response. Because there is such an imperfect knowledge whenever we first hear the word of the Lord for the very first time. There's such an imperfect response. We don't really know him as he really is yet. So she involved and entered into a conversation with him. And, uh, you know, how is it that you, a Jewish, would ask of me, a Samaritan and a woman, for a drink and so on? And he said, if you knew, and this is, now the word comes to her again. I'll suggest to you this morning that each and every time the Lord Jesus speaks to her, it is the word of the Lord is coming to her. He's the word personified. So each time he speaks to her, there is a greater revelation, a greater manifestation to her of who he really is. This is the way it is in the Christian life. As the Spirit of the Lord draws us to Christ, as the Word of the Lord, as the Gospel comes, each and every time it calls for a response, and each time it comes there is a greater manifestation and revelation of who Christ Jesus really is. So he said to her, If you knew, and this is the purpose of the Word of the Lord coming forth, if you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who it is that's making this request of you, See, if you knew these two things, if you knew the gift of God and if you knew who I am, and this is the purpose of the presentation of the gospel, is to communicate to people who hear it the gift of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. The gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, And if you knew who was making this request of you. See, right now, she doesn't know who it is that's making this request of him. And he said, if you did know, if you were to really know, then you would ask of him. See, right now, the word is coming forth to her, asking for a response from her. This is what happens when the word comes to us for the very first time. It is to elicit a response. It is to call forth a response. 
But it is to also continue to come and to reveal who the gift of God and to reveal who it really is that is extending this word to us. And if you, if you come to know, once you come to know who it is, then you begin to ask of Him. Now this is His great desire. This is the desire of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reason that He sends forth His word to us, is to bring us to this place where we begin to know the gift of God and who it really is, who He really is. Then we begin to ask of Him. What do we ask of Him? We ask of Him for living water. She misunderstood, of course, in the beginning. She misunderstands what He's talking about. She's still thinking naturally. But He said, if you really knew who it is, then you would begin to ask of Him. Ask of Me. Now, I believe fervently that the Lord, as He speaks to your heart, my heart, He's speaking to bring us to the place where He's saying, ask of Me. Ask of me. Ask of me and I will give you. But the, the premier, the, the ultimate um, ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, remember, remember this, the, 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 the ultimate purpose, His great purpose in ministry is to immerse in the Holy Spirit. It is to place uh, those who would believe in Him into an immersion experience in the person of, of the Holy Spirit. And this is what he's bringing this woman to. And this is what he's introducing her to. When the controversy over water baptism comes, he leaves that area and goes back to the Galilee. He didn't come to baptize in water. He came to baptize in the Holy Spirit. So he said he, he would give you this living water. And she begins to think, well, my, you know, I, I would like to have that. She totally misunderstands. She's just thinking naturally. This is what happens to, to people. As the word of the Lord comes to us, we have difficulty in making that transition from the natural things over to the spiritual. Then the word of the Lord would continue to come to her. See, he comes to her again. Now it's a little different now. As the word comes to her now, it's a little different. This is what will happen with you and me as the word of the Lord continues to come to us. There's a different purpose as he, as he continues to send his word. Now he says to her, Call your go and call your husband. Oh, wow. But when the word of the Lord comes, it's always calling for a response. You see, it's, it's always, it's give me a drink. What are you going to do? I'm going to, I got to respond to this. Either I'll give him a drink or I won't give him a drink or what will I do? Now it's go and call your husband. Well, I don't have to know his business, uh, who, uh, who my husband is. I don't have to say. But see, the word of the Lord calls for a response from the heart. Now, in the ministry of the Word and Spirit, now with this woman, he's calling for a truthful heart response from her in an area of her life that is one of the most delicate areas in her life. An area that has caused her a great deal of discomfort, difficulty in her life. Because she has had a very, very difficult life. I want to tell you, this woman is no saint that's coming to the well for water. But Jesus is extending His Word to her. He's not only extending His Word to her, but he is, he is endeavoring through His Word to get her to a place where she understands the gift of God and who He really is that's saying these words to her. Trying to get her to a place where she would say and ask of Him for the living water. So He said, go and call your husband. He calls forth honesty from her. Now, each and every time that it calls for a response, if a person does not respond 
appropriately to the word of the Lord, then it's going to wait for another season. It's going to have to wait for another opportunity. You're going to have to wait for another season. And we only have in this life so many opportunities and so many seasons. There are so many windows of opportunity. That's just the reality. And she responded and said to him, I don't have any husband. And he said, uh, you've spoken the truth. You see, the heart response, she didn't say very much, but she said the truth. And that's what we must do as the word of the Lord comes to us and, and questions us and extend to us that is to elicit an honest response from the heart. And he said, you've spoken truly, you have no husband, you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Now when he, uh, <laughs> you know, her, her response now is, is completely different. Her, her response now is not just that, he's a Jewish man, why is he talking to me, I'm a Samaritan woman. Her response now is, uh, he knows me. He knows me. Do you remember the first time in your life, wherever you, whenever you had that uh, realization, revelation within you, that He knows me? You see, it is a, it is a part. It, it is a, uh, it is a principle uh, of the life in Christ. It is part of walking along that narrow road, preceded by that narrow gate. We come to that place where there is that personal revelation and we come to that place where it is like He knows me. Then we begin to realize He lived on my behalf. He substituted Himself for me. He died for me. He took my sins upon Himself. And this personal identification with Christ is a consequence of this great, magnificent revelation. He knows me. He knows who I am. And this is happening to this woman. He knows me. Not only have I had five husbands, the one I'm living with now is not my husband. And then she began to question him, of course, and ask this, these questions. And we do this thing too. We do the same thing too. Where, where should I go to church? What's the right uh, church? What's the right belief? Which denomination is correct? Only her question is, uh, where should we really worship the God? Should we worship here on Mount Gerizim? She had been trained that that was the appropriate place to worship, or should we worship in Jerusalem? And he was very clear that the uh, they did not know. The Samaritans did not know. Uh, did not have a coherent theological understanding. They did not. And salvation is from the Jews, he said to her very clearly. And the Jews have a coherent theological understanding and a true theological base. And you don't. But I'm telling you this, that the time is coming and now is when the Father is seeking worshipers who will not just worship in Jerusalem or worship in Mount Gerizim, but will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. And this is the work of grace on the heart. Those who are called uh, into right relationship with Christ 
is to come to this place of knowing what real, true worship is. And all these questions of, you know, should I go here or should I go there? Or am I supposed to go here? Uh, is you know, not the uh, question anymore. The question now is, the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit. Worship Him in truth. Not external worship. He's not seeking people that are pious looking on the outside. He's not seeking people that dress in a certain way on the outside necessarily. He's seeking those who from the very core of their being, from their spirit, that part that distinguishes the human being from the animal kingdom, the part created in God's own image and likeness, they will worship the Father from the Spirit and truth. I'll just go through a little quick review with you this morning on how she knew him. First of all, she knew him as a Jewish man. Then she knew him as a man in need. (laughs) A man who was thirsty and didn't have anything to draw from a well that's about a hundred feet deep and he had nothing to draw with. And he's thirsty. So she knew him, first of all, as a Jewish man and then secondly, she knew him as a man in need. And he was asking her for something that would help him in his need. Then as the conversation continued to evolve, then she came to know him in a soon short period of time. She came to know him as a prophet. You see, we know him more than a prophet. And then finally she came to know him as the Messiah. Because she said, you know, when the Messiah, we know the Messiah is coming and he will reveal all these things to us when he comes. And then he said to her, very seldom do you find this in Scripture. But he said this specifically to this woman, and you might say in the outward circumstances she's not qualified. It's not how qualified she is. It's how qualified he is. And he said to her, I who speak to you, I am he, I am the Messiah that you reference. Now the call to us in the Christian life, and I'm not taking a long time this morning, the call to us in the Christian life as we walk through this narrow gate compressed by pressure and walk the narrow way. This Christian life is not the broad way. The Christian life is the narrow way. But the call to the believer on this Christian pilgrimage, a call to one who is a call to accept Christ as his Lord, as his Savior, is to know him as the Messiah. Not just to know him as a man, not just to know him as as this or know him as that, not to know him through some teacher or preacher, not to know him just as a prophet, but to know him as the Messiah. Because to know him as the Messiah is to know him in his office towards us as the one who baptizes, the only one who baptizes, who immerses into the reality and the person of the Holy Spirit. So that one is um, enveloped, overwhelmed by, motivated by, led by, guided by, instructed by, taught by the person of the Holy Spirit. He is the only one who introduces the believer into this kind of relationship that is so phenomenal and unique that never existed in the Old Covenant. 
John the Baptist did not have it in his own personal experience, even though he was full of the Holy Spirit from uh, the mo- before he was born. He did not know this experience that we're talking about. He didn't know it. And when Jesus first came to John the Baptist to be baptized by him, because John was a prophet, he knew in that instant who this really was. Just in this instant, he knew who it really was. And he said, he shrunk and, and, and withdrew from baptizing him. He said, I have need to be baptized by you. And you come to me to be baptized, but I have need to be baptized of you. John the Baptist did not have this experience. And yet he knew that there was a need for it, but he didn't have it. It wasn't available then, but it's available now. And this is his office, and this is what he's seeking to do. And he has already said to her that this is going to be like, when this happens, it's going to be like uh, a well of water, a spring of water on the inside of you that springs up. It's going to be on the inside of you, and it's going to spring up and bubble forth into everlasting life. Wherever you go, now here's the Christian life. Here's the picture of the Christian life. Again, it is a narrow way. It is constrained or constricted by pressure. The idea of a grape being squeezed is very much like the picture of the Christian life from the outside. But on the inside, on the inside of the believer's life, there is a spring. And that spring on the inside of the believer's life is always on the inside. No matter what the outside circumstances are, the spring is on the inside. And nothing and no circumstance can get at the source of that spring because it's on the inside. And that spring on the inside, is it's a flowing well, bubbling forth into everlasting life. And so the life is on the inside. And this is what it's like, no matter where you go, high school, public school, You've graduated from school. You work someplace in a plant. You have your own business. You wash dishes by the sink. Whatever it is we do. It's to be that life on the inside. A life that is active. A life that is vigorous. It is the life of Christ. And that's what the Christian life really is. And it's nothing less than that. And it's not trying to adhere to something on the external. But it's having that life on the inside. The result of knowing the Messiah is to know the one who immerses in the Holy Spirit. And the result of knowing him in that way is the inner spring, the spring of life. And then the result of that, of course, is knowing how to worship. Somebody said, am I supposed to worship real active and dance and jig and do all these things? Should I go and have someone teach me how to worship? Oh. It is to worship in spirit, and it is to worship in truth. It's impossible without the life springing up on the inside. But when the life is springing up from the inside, then that will be the normal worship of the believer, is to worship in spirit and to worship in truth. May the Lord bless you on your journey in Jesus' name.